If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. God never promised believers an easy life. In fact, just the opposite. Fortunately, He created us to connect with one another, to make the hard times easier. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his look at how we were created for community and offers some excellent reasons not to go through life alone. Listen now as David introduces the conclusion of his message, Stay Connected. And thank you so much for joining us today. We are in the midst of this series called Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World. It's based upon a book that we have written by the same title. In fact, uh, let me just get this off the agenda. You can have that book uh, delivered to your home by simply sending a gift of any size to Turning Point to help us with our broadcast ministry. Your gifts, your support, your involvement, your investment. Oh, I cannot tell you, we couldn't do what we do without you. And we need you. We want to encourage you. We'll add value to your life with this book when you send your gift. Be sure and ask for your copy of Living with Confidence, and you can be a part of the worldwide ministry of the Word of God through Turning Point. You know, I've been uh, teaching the Word of God in a church for almost 50 years. I've been on the radio and television for 45 Periodically, somebody comes and says to me, why don't you just uh, walk away from the church with all of its challenges and focus on what you're doing around the world on radio and television? And I'd have to be honest with you and tell you that sometimes I have thought about that. But here's what I believe. I believe God does his best work through the church. God has said, I will build my church. I don't want to ever stray too far from that promise because I believe that's why God blesses people, why he blesses ministries. The church is imperfect. It's filled with a lot of challenges, and some of them are so petty they shouldn't even be in discussion. But the church is God's idea, and it's still the best idea that we have for familiarity and fellowship and community. So I believe in the church. I've been a pastor of the same church for 40 years, and uh, I have no intentions of stopping that any anytime soon. So if you haven't been going to church, if you're not involved in the church, please listen carefully to the second half of this message called Stay Connected as we talk about the importance of your place in your local church. Let's get started. You see, the early church had this perfect balance between corporate worship in the temple court and dinner meetings in individual homes. Every day there were brand new believers in Jerusalem coming to the large gathering and funneling from the large gathering into the small groups. And when they went to the small groups, they were encouraged together in the temple in corporate worship. And that's the balance we should have in our churches today. Coming together in our massive groups for majestic praise and worship and teaching of the word of God. And then during the week, getting together with others in smaller groups where we know everybody by name and we can discuss the things of God and grow. And our growth becomes exponential when we balance it out with these two strategies. 
back in the early days of our small group ministry here at Shadow Mountain, when I was totally involved with the teaching and the training, we decided to call our groups back then 2020 groups. We call them 2020 groups because we felt like the impetus for small groups came out of the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 20. Here's what it says. I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Spiritually speaking, it's a good way to have 2020 vision. In the church, in the small groups, following the pattern of God's holy word. Small group ministry is commonplace in churches today, but I think the very first network was in Jerusalem, and the groups were led by the apostles and the leaders that were growing up in the church, and it was an incredible way for believers to mature and to grow. You see, you come to a church as big as ours or many of the large churches in this nation, you can walk in and sit down in a pew or in a theater seat, and you can sit there and leave, and no one will say anything to you. I mean, it's a sad truth, but it often happens. And if you're not careful, you get lost in the process. But when you come and you get encouraged and then you go to your small group, those two strategies help you to grow and become more like Christ, which is our goal. When we think about all the good things that come out of church fellowship and all the good things that come out of small group ministry, we can't help wondering why anyone would ever want to live without it if they are a Christian. We come together out of obedience to God, but we do it also because it gives us strength and joy, and it gives us sustenance and patience and productivity. So here's your assignment, class. You need to be in church every Sunday, and once you get into church, you need to find a small group where you can meet with others and grow in your faith. And by the way, make sure your small group is built around the core teachings of the Word of God and not just a gathering together of people to discuss what they don't know, which is often what happens in small groups. Well, that's the imperative of connectivity. Let me talk with you for a moment about the importance of connectivity. What are some of the good things that happen because we are connected? One is simply that it's a priceless privilege. Can you imagine how you would feel about freedom of worship if it was ever denied you? I have a new friend by the name of Joel Rosenberg who tells about a rapidly growing church in Iran made up of converts from Islam, and the pastor broadcasts his weekly worship service and teaching via satellite. People are eager to hear these sermons and lessons because they worry about what would happen if the secret police were to catch them attending a Christian church. They don't dare play Christian music in their homes or sing praise songs aloud because the neighbors could turn them in. So they depend completely upon the pastor's broadcast for their worship and fellowship in the word. Isn't it interesting that we take for granted what is never tested and our freedom is something we better protect because we could be like the people in Iran someday where we have to secretly worship the Lord out of fear of gathering together publicly. Well, when we come together, what are the side benefits? What are the motivations? What happens when we come together privately and publicly? Well, if you go back to the book of Hebrews, you'll get some clues. First of all, we promote love between one another. Hebrews 10:24 says, "Let us consider one another in order to stir up love." And here's the phrase again, one another. One of Paul's favorite phrases. He uses it 38 times in his letters. And we find it occurring 68 times from Acts to Revelation. The New Testament, you see, is a one another book. 
Simple togetherness is one of the main ingredients of love, so we must never allow it to become something that we assume. If we neglect to gather together, we drift apart from one another and we become disconnected. Being together reminds us of the needs we have. We share the concerns of our hearts. We laugh and we eat together and we worship at the throne of grace side by side and in the process, God seems to knit our hearts together in love. Then human love increases our love for that same God who started the whole process in the beginning. Now, in this passage of scripture, we're told that when we come together, one of the purposes is to stir up love. And I love that little phrase because the word stir up should be perhaps translated by the words to provoke or to incite. In the Greek language, it suggests an exasperated fit. (laughs) The choice of words would seem kind of strange when you put it together with love and good works, but it's very intentional. Fellowship should have an energy that provokes everyone toward God's work. We should get stirred up when we get together with God's people. I remember back some years ago when Reggie Jackson was still playing baseball, the straw that stirs the drink. He loved to call himself that, by the way. He was sort of cocky and outspoken, and he had a knack for keeping the adrenaline flowing among his teammates. Hebrews is telling each of us to be the straw that stirs the drink in fellowship together as we stir up love among God's people. I envision a church that is, if you'll pardon the expression, stir crazy. (laughs) A place in which people rise from their beds each week with a relentless purpose. By the grace of God, they think, I'll find a way to show love to a new friend today. Lord, give me a word of encouragement. Guide me to just the soul who needs to hear that word. My life is filled with blessings, and I'm going to be a blessing to at least one person throughout this day. So the first thing that happens when we come together is we promote love. Secondly, when we come together, we provoke good works. That's what it says. And we do better things together than we can do by ourselves. Together we can attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Together we can reach out to the whole world in providing financial and intercessory support for multitudes of missionaries. Together we can link up with radio and television and internet and print media and literally we can touch every person on planet earth. Being among the people of God should be provocative. It's not a retreat from the world, but it's kind of a pep rally. And the sermon should bring on an exasperated fit to go tell people about the Lord. The music should inspire the soul, provoke us to bring our friends to hear the word of God and the music. And hearing what God is doing overseas or on the other side of town should stir us up to go and help. Let's be certain we're clear here, men and women. We are not saved by good works. It doesn't help us to get to heaven because we do these good things. We are saved not by good works, but we are saved for them, aren't we? Throughout the history of the church, it has always been at its best when it has been blessing the world that is around it. As soon as churches became free and clear throughout the Roman Empire, Christians began to help the sick. St. Basil built the first hospital in Caesarea of Cappadocia, and soon institutions like that began appearing in many cities around the world at that time. There's a book called How Christianity Changed the World by Alvin Schmidt, and he tells in this book how Christians had been erecting hospitals for nearly four centuries, and then the Arabs took the example and began to do the same thing. 
Ladies and gentlemen, our faith has not been provided for us so that we can consume it upon ourselves. We have been called to be productive Christians. You all know, if you listen to me preach much, that Philip Yancey is one writer whose books I read from cover to cover. And he wrote a book called Reaching for the Invisible God. And in that book, he tells about a time when a man came up to him after a speaking engagement and said to him, uh, Mr. Yancey, you wrote a book titled, Where is God When It Hurts, Didn't You? And Yancey acknowledged that he had indeed written such a book. And the man says, well, <laughs> I don't have time to read your book. Can you tell me what it says in a sentence or two? After some thought, Philip Yancey replied to his questioner, well, I suppose I'd have to answer your question with another question. Where is the church when it hurts? You see, he explained the church is God's presence on earth. The church is his body, and if the church does its job, if the church shows up at the scene of disasters, if the church visits the sick and staffs the AIDS clinic and counsels the rape victims and feeds the hungry and houses the homeless, he said, I don't think anybody will be asking, where is God when it hurts? Because through the body of Christ, God's presence will be experienced. So when we come together in the church, we promote love. When we come together as a church and we're connected, we provoke good works. And then thirdly, when we come together as a church, we provide encouragement. Notice in Hebrews 10.25 what the word says. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting. Grab hold of that word, exhorting. The word is often translated by the word encouragement. It's the same Greek word. The Bible says that when we come to church, we're not just to promote love, we're not just to provoke good works, but we're to provide encouragement. We're to encourage one another. We should constantly be in the process of finding someone in the church that we know may need a word of encouragement and providing that word so that they can grow and be blessed. Oh, do you know the power of encouragement? I can tell you personally that there have been times in my life when a word spoken at the right time and in the right way has lifted me up and helped me go on when I felt like quitting. And I'm sure I'm not unusual in that respect. When the church goes about its business and becomes a greenhouse for inspiration and evangelism, you cannot stop it from growing or from turning the world upside down. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of a place that makes everyone stronger and more confident? In our time, the world has all of the discouragement it needs. We need men and women who are a part of the body of Christ who understand that part of our role is to be encouragers. Marriage and parenting seem harder than ever these days. We're brewing a culture of despair, and that's just fertile soil for the church to step in and provide real encouragement, real relationships, real love through the authentic power of Jesus Christ. Men and women, nothing can come close to competing with the hope and the peace that we have to offer to this world, and especially in these days, which are considered dark days by some, we can be the light we can be the encouragement. We can be the salt if we will just take our responsibility seriously. Yes, I know the church as we experience it has its faults. But remember, the church as God sees it is perfect. And it's spotless because of the cleansing of the blood of Christ. I've always been fascinated by the life and ministry of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was the prince of preachers whose preaching took England by storm during the 1800s. 
I recently found a new biography about his life. I didn't know there were any others than the ones I had already read. But this biography had some stuff in it that I had not ever heard before, especially about Spurgeon's conversion. As a teenager, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a non-believer. He was planning to become a farmer, and he decided to study Latin and Greek instead. And he didn't know where his career was going, where his life was going. But at the school in Newmarket, where he was studying these languages, his life was impacted by one particular individual. No, it wasn't a professor or an instructor, and it wasn't a classmate or a friend. Charles Spurgeon had his life changed by the school's cook, an elderly woman by the name of Mary King. She invited Charles to attend her church one day, and that led to many conversations with her about his faith. And eventually, he was set on the path to salvation. Years later, Spurgeon heard of Mary King's retirement and he supplemented her income from his own pocket. Here's what that story says to me. If a cook from the kitchen can prepare the path for the greatest preacher of the century, what does that imply God might do through you or through me? If we could only realize the extent to which he has used ordinary, available human beings for his greatest purposes, many millions of people owe Mary King a vote of gratitude because Spurgeon became a Christian, and through his ministry and through his preaching, many have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I realize there are times when all of us need to be encouraged as well. Don't forget that the very best source of encouragement is the Word of God. Open the Bible often, call upon God, and he will begin to speak to you through the Scripture and provide encouragement for you. Well, we've looked today at the imperative of connectivity and the importance of it. I want to finish up with the incentive of connectivity. The writer of Hebrews tells us that our faithfulness in church attendance should increase as we see our Lord's return on the horizon. If there were no promised coming of the Lord Jesus, the condition of the world itself would be all the incentive we needed to cling to the wonderful fellowship of God's people. But we know something, don't we? We know that Jesus is coming back, and I want to be found faithful to everything that matters to him, including his church, including being a part of that institution which he founded for the benefit of his people and for the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. So even in the midst of national crisis, when worship attendance temporarily surges, the habit of most is to find other things to do. I have been so frustrated as I've watched this happen during my lifetime. Sunday is the new Saturday. In what is being called a post-Christian America, church attenders are now in the minority compared to Sunday golfers, Sunday joggers, late sleepers who don't see any reason at all to get up and go to church. When I come to church here on Sunday, I see all the recreational vehicles heading out toward the desert, and my heart grieves because... I know they're going to have a Sunday without any input from God at all. So as we see the day approaching, the writer of Hebrews tells us, we should be motivated to build the body of Christ into something that glorifies God. Ladies and gentlemen, the church is not a building. It is not even the people. It is actually the living presence of a holy God in a fallen world. It is the tangible evidence of an invisible hope dressed in the skin of all the people who have found that hope. 
If there ever was a day when we needed the church, this is it. If there ever was a day when greater opportunity was available to invite faithless friends, we have it now. This is the opportunity for us to make the church of Jesus Christ a priority in our lives, for us to, as the strategy says, stay connected. I want to close today with a story that I read some time ago. There's a legend about a church in southern Europe called the House of Many Lamps. It was built in the 16th century with no provision for artificial light except for a receptacle at every seat for the placement of a lamp. In the evenings, as the people came to church, they would carry their own light with them. And when they entered the church building, they would place their lamp in the receptacle as they began to worship. If someone stayed away, his place remained dark. If more than a few stayed away, the darkness seemed to spread, and it took the regular presence of every member to light up the church. So let me just ask you to think about that in your own case. When you forsake assembling, when that little light of yours is not allowed to shine, you leave a spot of darkness. And if enough people heed your example and take Sundays off, a great darkness begins to fall across the house of many lamps. It was a cold and blustery winter evening when a husband and wife made themselves as comfortable as they could before the crackling fireplace as they awaited the arrival of their pastor. He had made the appointment earlier in the day, and the husband steeled himself against the anticipated rebuke. They had previously been in the habit of attending every service every week, and they had fallen off in their attendance. Over the past year, they had rarely made it maybe but once a month. And they used to say to one another, we're just as good as some people who go to church twice every Sunday, and I'm going to make it clear to our pastor tonight that I don't have to be there every week and in every service. And he was pretty blustery about his claim. Well, the doorbell rang and the pastor entered. Remaining in his overcoat, he walked directly to the fireplace, took up the tongs, lifted a brightly glowing coal from out of the fire, placed it on the hearth, and still silently stepped back to watch. Well, the husband eventually joined him in this silent observation. After a very long time, the once red-hot glow turned into a cold, dark mass. Finally, the pastor turned to the man and gave him a look that spoke volumes. And the man got the message. Like that coal, we burn brightly when we are together, but we burn out when we stand alone. As for me, here I stand, squarely on the side of God's church. As a young man, I gave my heart to Christ and my hands to the church. I have had wonderful days in the church, as well as a few painful ones, if you will. But if Christ comes tomorrow, I want him to find me faithfully serving in the fellowship of the saints, the gathering of the holy priesthood, in the church of Jesus Christ, and I want to encourage you as you think about what we have talked about today, as you go through these disconnected times, as you go through this time of chaos, here's a strategy right from the Word of God. Listen carefully. Stay connected. Stay connected to the church. Amen. Amen. Well, you can tell I really believe that with all my heart. And it's not something I read about in the Bible and decided to believe. I read about it in the Bible, decided to believe it, and I've been living it for all these years. And every day something happens that reminds me of the unique, wonderful, glorious nature of God's church. 
I'm so happy to be connected with the Shadow Mountain Community Church in El Cajon, California. Well, friends, we're exactly halfway through our series on living with confidence in a chaotic world. And uh, so we have already um, burned up half of the opportunities I have to tell you about this incredible book. This book is filled with such encouragement And I'll tell you what, it's so pertinent, it's so for today, it's so for right now, for where you are. If someone would come to me and say, I'm going through this pandemic and all the stuff's going on in my life and I don't know what to do, I would say, hey, here's a book that I think will help you. And that's this book, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World. It's from the scriptures. It was written for you, even though you weren't even born or thought of yet. The book we call the Bible is eternal, and it's timeless, and it's so powerful. Be sure and ask for your copy of Living with Confidence when you send your gift to Turning Point this month. You can also find out about the study guides and the uh, CD package by going to davidjeremiah.org. There you'll find out how to order these other materials. You may want to use this series for your new small group that's coming up in a short time. Get the study guides. You get the book get the CDs, you're ready to go. Studying God's Word together, one of the great things you can do on your journey to heaven. We'll see you right here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Is Turning Point making a difference in your life? Share your story by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada. P.O. Box 18098 Delta BC V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca/slash radio or call 800 946 4300 Ask for your copy of David's book, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, and Live with Certainty in These Uncertain Times. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue living with confidence in a chaotic world on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com Bible. A friend of mine enjoys riding his bike for long distances on country roads to avoid traffic. In spite of his efforts to ride safely, he crashed his bike a couple of years ago and broke his collarbone. Describing what happened, he said, it was 100% operator error. 
he got distracted, lost control of his bike, and learned a lesson the hard way. I wonder how many unpleasant or painful things in our lives are the result of operator error. The Apostle Paul warned against operator error when he wrote, Don't be fooled. We always reap what we sow. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to live safely on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.